Musicians are an interesting lot. They typically, yeah, I noticed this is, y'all are gonna find this very intriguing and you can correct me. See, there's no deeper today, but you can send me an email. Of course, Andy's not here either to defend himself. But they typically are right-brained, creative-minded, very soulful people, artists. And I should know, for I felt very hard for one once and dated him for three and a half years. Had the earring and everything. What was great was he would write me poetry and then put it to song. And who doesn't like someone to make up a song for them, right? Well, when he was up, he was really up. But when he was down, he was really down. In fact, you didn't want to be around him at all. He was moody. Now, I'm not saying all musicians are that way, but there's something about living out of that right-brained, creative side that allows artists to feel the extremes of life and everywhere in between. In fact, they're just able to sort of tap that vein and and give us these amazing expressions of life and all the human experience and all its color and texture, the joy and the struggle. So it's no wonder that for actually almost 3,000 years, people have been singing and reading the songs of what may be one of the most excellent of musicians, David, the psalmist. You may know him as King David, or David the adulterer, or David who slew Goliath. But in any case, it was out of this great swath of life experience that he wrote the Psalms, or most of them, anyway. What I love about the Psalms is they do show that rich texture of life. They go from those deep down, dark places of abandonment, like in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why? Have you forsaken me? To the pinnacle of praise in Psalm 145, great is the Lord and worthy of praise. But for most, the Psalms actually include both the joy and the struggle. Such is the case for Psalm 118. Now, it's a shame that the lectionary cuts it the way it did. Because the whole psalm is quite profound. In fact, this was considered the favorite psalm of Martin Luther. And it's one that's used in both Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday in churches around the world. And perhaps something even more wonderful than its glorious highs and deep down lows is that it has a purpose. David is sharing his version of the gospel. Now, without telling you last week, we were in a series, <laughs> The Gospel According to Fill in the Blank. And of course, last week, we looked at The Gospel According to Joshua, a five-year-old boy who on the Ash Wednesday service saw a woman who was with him without ashes, took some of his, put it on her head, and said, you can have some on my cross. We talked about how that exhibited the gospel. And today, we have the gospel according to David, a musician. For we know that the gospel is told differently depending on the feet you're standing in, the shoes you're standing in. Of course, it's different from a child and a musician, a prisoner, an oppressed group. The gospel sounds a little bit different.
go much further, though, and say, well, what is the gospel? We kind of throw that around in churches like everybody's in it. Well, would you repeat John 3.16 if I ask what's the gospel? Would you go back to Sunday school or vacation Bible school, remembering the acronym ABC? Admit that you're a sinner, believe in Jesus, and confess with your mouth he's Lord? You have no idea what I'm talking about. Maybe that was only in Texas. I don't know. <laughs> or would you repeat something you learned from continuing witness training? Like it began with Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thanks be to God, Romans 5.8, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I should have this by memory, but I don't. And 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to save us from all unrighteousness. Is that what we would say if asked, what is the gospel? Well, the truth is all of the above. But I think for most of them, they're not as nuanced to our life experience. Of course, they're all good. But Jesus pointed us last week that said children can show us the way in simpler terms. Of course, you've heard me say many times the Greek word for gospel, euangelion, which is where we get the word evangelism and evangelical. It simply means good news. How many of you could use some good news? If you watch the news at all or listen to it or see it on the computer, online, you know that we are in a world starved of gospel. Good news. And the good news unique to the Christian faith is that it's focused around one key thing. Salvation. Now we toss that word up with salad tongs like we've eaten on it our whole lives. But at its essence, salvation means, in good southern terms, we were up a creek. Without a paddle. Okay, that made its way to North Carolina. Good. <laughs> we were in danger. God stepped in through Christ. He died. His love for us. And we were set free. That's the gospel in a nutshell. And this salvation is important. And as my dad had said at Free For All, we're all looking for salvation. We all have been in a dangerous place, up a creek without a paddle, needing help, starving for good news. Now, how would you describe the gospel? If I asked each one of you, and I want you to have sort of a homework assignment by Easter Sunday to answer the question, what is the gospel? I made myself do it, and this is what I said. The gospel to me is... I'm not alone. Jesus entered into my story, dug out the dirt, and planted shade trees. What is the gospel for you? Now, I love the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know why they're so rich? Because they all show a different version. They all have a different way of painting the gospel. And I love what one person said, Judith Sakira says, each of us is the pen with which God writes a fifth gospel. 
Each of us is the pen with which God writes a fifth gospel. This is good news, that God's telling a salvific story through our lives. Well, David, of course, puts a unique spin worth the attention of us today. For those of you who maybe haven't revisited his story in Chronicles and Samuel lately, let me give you an overview. He was a shepherd boy, the youngest, ruddy in appearance. We don't use that word much, ruddy. He was an excellent harp player. In short, he was a musician. Perhaps he had long hair and wore Birkenstocks. I don't know. But he was definitely sort of the overlooked of the litter of his seven brothers. In fact, when Samuel came to declare the next king, all brothers came and processed, and Samuel said, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. And he says to Jesse, David's father, do you not have any more sons? He's like, well, I do have one. He's a shepherd boy. He's, he's a boy. So bring him here. So he goes to the procession. And the Lord says to Samuel, Rise up, anoint him, for he is the king. And so you have this king boy who grows and learns. In fact, because of his musical abilities, he's able to play for Saul, King Saul, who has this tormenting evil spirit. Remember that piece of the Bible? And it's so interesting that even though he played for Saul, Saul didn't return any favors. In fact, he was so jealous of David. Remember, the women would come out after war and said, Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his, or David killed tens of thousands. And Saul didn't really like that. And so there were many attempts on David's life, and he spent days and weeks hiding in fear of his very life. David knew what it was like to be the enemy. In fact, after he became king, he was pursued by many armies. He defeated the Philistines, the Moabites, the Ammonites, yes, and more. In fact, there was always this internal fighting between the military leaders, and he wasn't immune to deep, deep grief. Even as his own child, seven days old, He was conflicted, murderous, contrite, deep. He was a musician, after all. And so he begins this psalm, this favorite psalm, saying, as Bob just read, Give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good, and his loving kindness is everlasting. I don't know about you, but that's good news to someone who has a few shortcomings. For David, he had quite a few. And you hear as the psalm moves and crescendos, you hear him say his salvation story. If you have a Bible, we're going to break from the lectionary and look at verse 5. He says, I was distressed. And I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and sent me in a spacious place. 
Some of you may say a broad place, a large place. But the idea is David, out of this great sense of being delivered from these enemies, declares the good news that he has found a spacious place. It's a great poetic move for him. You know, this was a shepherd after all. Don't you think these lonely meadows would have felt like home? It kind of conjures up Psalm 23 imagery of the still water and green pasture. Here in the place where he was hemmed in and surrounded and cut off, that God gave him a spacious place. That is good news for us. Now, I don't know where and what grounds you've been grazing. I don't know what enemies you've been facing, but the good news is that God is good and his love endures and he has picked you up, put you in a spacious place. David goes on crooning, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love that. In my former life, I was a school teacher. And I remember, especially those first couple of years, you sort of with fear and trembling whenever the principal came to do the evaluation. It's like, you know, you stay, it was so silly. It was like the dog and pony show. You know, you stay up all night, get this great lesson, like you do that every day, right? And, and you get this review. But really, throughout the year, you just sort of have this fear of the principal and administration. Well, the funny thing is, I had some friends, my teacher friends, who became administrators and principals. And they said, you know what? The same thing happened. When I got to that new level, I became fearful and worried about the system that I was in and the superintendents, and I'm accountable to them. And so we kind of had this joking, I remember, that we're always in fear of someone. I think it's true wherever and whatever station in life you're in or position, you're sort of under this tyranny of fear. Maybe it's a supervisor, maybe it's a cancer, maybe it's a divorce in your family or a secret that no one will talk about. But we live under this tyranny of fear, and you can hear this David who has spent nights in tears say, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Because in the end, no matter how high we rise, we're always in fear. I love this part of the psalm. I love the fact that, to me, though it is written in a major key up to this point, all of a sudden there's a change. It went from, perhaps, the way I hear it, from blasting trumpets and these bellowing trombones. And now David cues the violins and the oboes and the bassoons and all those rich cellos. And he tells about what's surrounding him and the fear that he was in. And he says, I was swarmed around like bees. I was pushed back and about to fall. 
And the Lord chastened me severely. And then in the climax, verse 25 that Bob read, he says, Oh, Lord, (laughs) save us. This is why I love this song for Palm Sunday. Even David's minor key section tells the gospel. I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I like worshiping at Providence is we try to be real about the human experience. We don't gloss over the gunk, the dirt, baggage, the hidden skeletons. We try to expose all in major and minor key. And one of the reasons, for example, that I had such a hard time reconciling the gospel growing up was because they made it seem that once you believe in Jesus, that your life, sort of like the fairy tale princess, would be happily ever after lived. It was sort of, I got this surfy sweet dimension of the gospel, like traveling through the Candyland game. You know, like you start somehow in gingerbread plum tree, and then move to the peppermint forest, and you end up on the gumdrop mountain. And I'm like, where is the dark night of the soul on this game? (laughs) They missed a big section of my journey. And that wasn't given voice to at the church I grew up in. And I was confused, and I thought it was really weird. I am, but I think this psalm in particular, and most of David's work as a corpus, makes us pause and see where the minor key gives voice to the gospel. We need the high notes and the low notes. We need the forte and the piano. We need the legato and the staccato, the 16th notes and the whole notes. We need David to come along and share the joy and the struggle and say in this wonderful way, The Lord is for me. Who will I fear? If God is for me, who can be against me? I love, love that this Palm Sunday brings us to this text. Because as much as I love Matthew's depiction, I don't think it was just Jesus on a joyride on his way to Jerusalem. I think, yes, I think it was festive and celebratory. But I think there was heartache and pain. Jesus was fully human and fully divine, and we minimize that sense of the humanity of Christ on that donkey, knowing that those same people, days later, would say, crucify him. And so even in that moment, I believe Jesus held in the soundtrack of his mind the major and the minor key. In the end, the line between struggle and joy gets blurred. If you notice in Psalm 118, that verse 25, where it says, O Lord, save us. If you notice, In Hebrew, that word means Hosanna. Some of you have that word Hosanna inscribed in your Bible. I know growing up, we had in our mantle, Hosanna. 
And I always thought that was a word of praise, and indeed it was. But it really started out as a word of quest, of desperation, of plea, of I'm in the thick and the mess and the mire, and I need you. And I need you now. This is what Hosanna, if we translated verse 25, we would say, Hosanna, we beseech you, Lord. Oh, Lord, Hosanna, give us success. And yet, what I love about language, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. Etymologically, the word Hosanna by the first century began to mean God saves. It was a word of praise. It was a word of rejoicing. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And it's so powerful because here's the move in the song. The word for struggle becomes the word for praise. That is good news. Why? How? Because David, you, me, find out that God is in the midst of that mire and mess. God intimately knows and stepped into it through Christ. And the musician prophesies the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. Jesus, the rejected, the despised, the humiliated, the spit upon, the swollen, the discarded, the distraught, the crucified. How many of us can relate to rejection, to humiliation, to betrayal. And here we serve a God uniquely Christian that steps into our lives and says, I am one of you. I know what it's like to go through and live under the tyranny of fear. I know what it's like to say, if this cup can pass, let it do so. That Christ, that struggler, is our Savior. He hears our plea of desperation, and he becomes the salve in our story. Hosanna can become praise because we know the God who is the deliverer is with us. The promise is true. The good news is true. So much so that joy can take over. And with the musician, we can say by verse 27, 8, take bows in hand, palms in hand. Join in this festal procession. God brings light into our story. And this is what we do. We're no fools. We know that the joyful procession is short-lived. It's only a few days, after all, that the shadow of Good Friday falls on us. Then why can we even sing? Because the good news, the gospel according to David, is this. Verse 17 says, I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. That is the good news that 
that which we celebrate. I will not die, but live, even physically, emotionally, and spiritually, wherever we find ourselves on that spectrum of death and mess and mire, that God breathes life. God is among us and molding us. Finally, as we're called to sing on this Palm Sunday, maybe, just maybe, we'll recite the melody so long, the joy and the struggle and the hope that God is with us, that we'll sing it so much that we can't get it out of our head. And this time... <clears throat> We won't want to.